Anything Ghost, number 283. Welcome to Anything Ghost. My name is Lex Wall. Anything Ghost is a place where people share their personal paranormal experiences, and I share them with you on the show. If you have a story to share, send it to lex at anythingghost.com. A lot of great stories for you in show number 283 from all around the world. So stick around for episode number 283. If you like old ghost stories, then this one's for you. This is from the UK in 1882. My father took a house in March 1882, none of us having heard of anything unusual about the house. We moved in toward the end of April, and it was not until the following June that I first saw the apparition. I had gone up into my room, but was not yet in bed, when I heard someone at the door, and I went to it, thinking it might be my mother. On opening the door, I saw no one, but on going a few steps along the passage, I saw the figure of a tall lady, dressed in black, standing at the head of the stairs. After a few moments, She descended the stairs, and I followed for a short distance, feeling curious what it could be. I only had a small piece of candle, and it suddenly burnt itself out. So being unable to see anymore, I went back to my room. On the night of August 2nd, the footsteps were heard by my three sisters and by the cook all of whom slept on the top landing, also by my married sister, who was sleeping on the floor below. They all said the next morning that they heard them very plainfully pass and repass their doors. These footsteps are very characteristic and are not at all like those of any people in the house. They are soft and rather slow, though decided and even. My sisters would not go out on the landing after hearing them pass. But each time when I have gone out after them, I have seen the figure there. On the evening of August 1st, we were sitting in the drawing room with the gas lit, but the shutters were not shut. The light outside was getting dusk. My brothers and a friend, having just given up on tennis, finding it too dark, my elder sister and myself both saw the figure on the balcony outside, looking in at the window. She stood there some minutes, then walked to the end and back again, after which she seemed to disappear. The footsteps continued, and were heard by several visitors and new servants who had taken places of those who had left, as well as by myself, four sisters and brothers. In all, about twenty people, many of them not having previously heard of the apparitions and sounds. Other sounds were also heard in addition, which seemed to gradually increase in intensity. They consisted in walking up and down the second floor landing, of bumps against the doors of the bedrooms, and of the handles of doors turning. The bumps against doors were so loud as to terrify a new servant who heard nothing of the haunting and believed that burglars were breaking into her room. During the year, at Mr. Meyer's suggestion, 
I kept a photographic camera instantly ready to try to photograph the figure. But on a few occasions I was able to do so, I got no result. At night, usually only by candlelight, a long exposure would be necessary for a dark figure, and this I could not obtain. I also tried to communicate with the figure, constantly speaking to it and asking it to make signs, if not able to speak, but with no result. I also tried to touch her, but did not succeed. On cornering her, as I did once or twice, she would just vanish. One night my sister went up to her room on the second story, but as she passed the room where her two sisters were sleeping, they opened their door to say that they heard noises, and what they had described as a flame of a candle, but without a candle or handle visible, crossed the room diagonally from corner to corner. Two of the maids opened the doors of their rooms and said that they also heard noises. They all five stood at their doors with their lighted candles for some little time. They all heard the footsteps walking up and down the landing between them. As they passed, they felt a sensation which they described as a cold wind blowing through their candles, but their candles did not blow out. They saw nothing. The steps then descended the stairs, reascended, again descended, and did not return. The figure became much less substantial in its later appearances. Up to about 1886, it was so solid and lifelike that it was often mistaken for a real person. It gradually became less distinct. At all times, it intercepted the light. We have not been able to ascertain if it had cast a shadow. I should mention that it has been seen through window glass, and that I myself wear glasses habitually, though none of the other participants do. The upper part of the figure always left a more distinct impression than the lower, but this may be partly due to the fact that one naturally looks at people's faces before their feet. And that was a ghost experience from 1884. And the last place in which one would expect ghosts to select for their wanderings. On the night in question, I retired to my couch soon after ten, and fell asleep almost the moment I was between the sheets. Instead of sleeping, as I am thankful to say, is my habit, straight through till morning, I woke up after a short dreamless sleep with the dim consciousness upon me that someone had called me by name. I was just turning the idea over in my mind when all doubts were solved by me hearing my name pronounced in a faint whisper. Willie. 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 Now the nurse who was in attendance on the baby and who had slept in the dressing room adjoining our bedroom had been ill for the past few days and on the previous evening my wife had come and asked me to assist her with the baby. As soon, therefore, as I heard this whisper, I turned around thinking, Ah, it's the baby again. The room had three windows in it. The night was moonless, but starlit. There was snow on the ground, and therefore snow-lit, and the blinds being up, the room was by no means dark. The first thing I noticed on turning round was the figure of a woman close to the foot of my bed, and whom, following the bent of my thoughts, I supposed was to be my wife. What is up? 
I asked. But the figure remained silent and motionless, and my eyes being more accustomed to the dimness, I noticed it had a grey-looking shawl over its head and shoulders, and that it was too short in stature to be my wife. I gazed at it silently, wondering who it could be. Apparitions and ghosts were far from my thoughts, and the mistiness of the outlines of this silent figure did not strike me at the moment as it did afterwards. I again addressed it, this time in the language of our country. What do you want? Again, no answer. And now it occurred to me that our servant girl sometimes walked in her sleep, and that perhaps this was she. Behind the head of my bed stood a small table, and I reached round for a matchbox that was on it, never removing my eyes from the sleepwalker. The matchbox was now in my hands, but just as I was taking out the match, the figure, to my astonishment, seemed to rise up from the floor and move backwards toward the end window. At the same time, it faded rapidly and became blurred with the gray light streaming in at the window, and ere I could strike a match, it was gone. I lit the candle, jumped out of bed, and ran to the door. It was fastened. To the left of the drawing room, there was a changing room, separated only by a curtain. This room was empty, too, and the door likewise fastened. I rubbed my eyes. I was puzzled. It struck me how, for the first time, that the figure was hazy-looking. Also that my wife was the only person who called me Willie, and certainly the only person who could give the word its English pronunciation. I first searched both the drawing room and the dressing room, and then opening the door, stepping into the passage, and went into my wife's door and listened. The baby was crying and my wife was up, so I knocked and was admitted. Knowing her to be strong-minded and not nervous, I quietly related my experience. She was astonished and asked if I wasn't afraid to return to my bed in the drawing room. However, I was not, and after chatting for a few moments, went back to my quarters, fastened the door, and getting into bed, thought the whole matter over very quietly. I could think of no explanation of the occurrence, and, feeling sleepy, blew out the light and was soon asleep again. After a short but sound and dreamless slumber, I was again awakened, this time with my face toward the middle window, and there, close up against it, was the figure again. And owing to its proximity to the light, it appeared to be very dark. I had once reached out for my matches, but in doing so upset the table, and down it went with my candlestick, my watch, keys, etc., making a terrific crash. As before, I kept my eyes fixed on the figure, and now observed that whatever it was, it was advancing straight toward me, and in another moment, retreat to the door would be cut off. It was not a comfortable idea to cope with the unknown in the dark, and in an instant, I seized my bedclothes, and grasping the corner of them in each hand, and holding them up before me, I charged straight at the figure. I suppose I thought that by smothering the head of the supposed assailant, I could best repel the coming attack. The next moment, I landed on my knees on a sofa by the window with my arms on the windowsill, and with the consciousness that it was now behind me, having passed through it. With a bound, I faced round and was immediately immersed in darkness, impalpable to the touch, but so dense that it seemed to be weighing me down and squeezing me from all sides. I could not stir the bedclothes which I had seized as described hung over my left arm. The other was free, but seemed pressed down by a benumbing weight. I essayed to cry for help, but realized for the first time in my life what it means for the tongue to cleave to the roof of my mouth. My tongue seemed to have been dry, to have swelled to a thickness of some inches. It stuck to the roof of my mouth, and I could not say a syllable. At last, after an appalling struggle, I succeeded in uttering a half-prayer, half-cry. 
Then my mind seemed to make one frantic effort. There seemed to come a wrench like an electric shock, and my limbs were free. It was as though I tore myself out of something. In a few seconds, I had reached and opened the door and was in the passage, listening to the hammers of my heartbeats. All fear was gone from me, but I felt as though I had run miles from my life and that another ten yards of it would have killed me. I again went to the door of my wife's room, and hearing that she was up with the baby, I knocked and she opened. She was a witness to the state I was in, the drops rolling down my face, my hair was damp, and the beatings of my heart were audible some paces off. I can offer no explanations of what I saw, but as soon as the story became known, the people who occupied the house previously told me that they had once put a visitor in that same drawing room who had declared the room to be haunted and had refused to stay in it. What would you say to getting up to not one, not two, not even three or ten, but fourteen free meals plus free shipping? Then listen up, because that's what HelloFresh is offering. Time is oh so important to us all. So why waste it driving back and forth to the store, fighting for parking, walking down aisle after aisle, and then ending up in a long line behind someone who can't find their checkbook, something you haven't dusted off in a decade? Well, save that valuable time and eat healthier with HelloFresh's fresh ingredients and enjoy HelloFresh's 50 weekly recipes, which feature a range of restaurant-quality flavors, cuisines, and ingredients. You'll also save money because HelloFresh is 30% cheaper than shopping at said grocery stores. And if you want to save even more time, try HelloFresh's 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfasts on the go, and the 10 minute lunches in the HelloFresh market. On top of all that, HelloFresh is the first carbon neutral meal kit, offsetting 100% of carbon emissions. So by skipping the grocery store and having HelloFresh's box, which is made entirely of recyclable and already recycled materials, delivered right to your door, you're reducing your food waste by 25%. I've already talked about it, but I'll say it again. I made an amazing Italian soup from a HelloFresh recipe that was delivered to my door. When I saw the colorful, easy-to-follow recipe card for the soup, I had my doubts because I've never made soup before. But it was so fast, so easy, and so delicious that I can't stop thinking about it. It's no wonder they're America's number one meal kit with recipes like that. So if you're interested in getting up to 14 free meals, go to hellofresh.com anything14 and use the code anything14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com anything14 and use the code anything14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Man, I got an email from Teddy in Tennessee. We love the show and our VIP members. I noticed in the last episode that you mentioned you were re-listening to old episodes. I love old episodes, especially episodes 60, 60 through 70. And then he uh, he said he thinks that how I say take care came around that time and I'm not really sure he wanted me to give you a background on when it came and I'm not really sure I think I started it in like episode 10 or something but then he also says other podcasts have re-released episodes oh he's asking me to remaster some old episodes as a new episode maybe I'll do that sometime but and then lastly I love how in older episodes you would intermittently play interludes of your original music and songs you wrote you're an incredible musician Lex thanks I love your music and originals. That's what makes your podcast so unique. And there are so many awesome episodes made even better by your music. You should definitely include interludes again. Yeah, I know in the in the early episodes, I used to almost in every episode <laughs> write a new piece of music. But I haven't done that lately. I kind of slowed down on that. Maybe I'll start doing that again. But anyway, that was from Teddy in Tennessee. And if you're wondering, if you don't know, the uh, VIP group is where I house all the uh, episodes of Anything Ghost. It's been around since January of 2006. And if you want that, there's a one-time fee. Go to anythingghost.com and then go to join the VIP group. And then one short note from Jody in North Carolina. 
You, sir, have the best podcast out there. Love listening on my commute to work and home. And then we'll continue on with a story from Mike in the U.S. Haunted Apartment. This is about my apartment and the friendly ghosts we have living with us. My name is Mike, and I live with my sister. So the two of us are very close to each other and have a ghost or spirit of an older woman, a grandma type, who lives with us. I've seen her numerous times. My sister called me at work one night and said, Why is there an old lady in our apartment? At this time, I worked the late shift, and I told her that I believe she sees a ghost. My sister then agreed with me. So on my next night off, we stayed up, and we were watching movies. She saw the old lady. I said, well, excuse me, ma'am. I understand this may have been your home at one point, but me and my sister live here now. All we ask is that you respect us in our home. We don't mind you being here, but please don't scare us or our cats. So ever since then, we will see her on occasion. The cats don't mind her. And it's turned out that it's almost like it's a grandma looking out for her grandkids. Coming face to face with a ghost. United Kingdom. In January 1868, I took a house close to Hastings. One night there was a very heavy storm. The weather was bitterly cold and the fire was burning in my bedroom when I went to bed at 10.30. I tried to go to sleep, but it was no use. The noise of the wind and the rain kept me awake. I must have been lying like this for a couple of hours when I became conscious of what seemed like a light in the room. I thought the fire must have rekindled itself, and I crawled along my knees on the bed to look at the fire over the high wooden footboard to see how this might be. I had no thought of anything but the fire and was not nervous in the slightest degree. As I raised myself on my knees and looked over the footboard, I found myself face to face at a distance of about three feet with the semblance of a man. I never for a moment thought he was a man, but was struck with the feeling that this was one from the dead. The light seemed to emanate from around this figure, but the only portions which I saw clearly were the head and shoulders. The face I shall never forget. It was pale, emaciated, with a thin, high-bridged nose and eyes deeply sunk and glowing in the sockets with a sort of glare. A long beard was seemingly rolled, under a white comforter, and on the head was a slouched felt hat. I had a nervous shock and felt a dead person was looking upon me, a living one, but had no sensation of being actually frightened until the figure moved slowly as if interposing between me and the door. Then horror overcame me and I fell back in a dead faint. How long I remained unconscious, I know not, but I came to myself cold and cramped. The room was quite dark, and nothing was visible. Thoroughly tired out, I got into bed and slept soundly until morning. Mother's Troubled Ghost, The United Kingdom my mother died on the 24th of June, 1874, in Slima, Malta, where we were residing for her health. Seven nights later, she appeared to me. I seemed to have been sleeping some time when I awoke, and turning over on the other side toward the window, saw my mother standing by my bedside, crying and wringing her hands. I had not been awake long enough to remember that she was dead, and exclaimed quite naturally, Why, dear, what's the matter? 
and then suddenly remembering, I screamed. The nurse sprang up from the next room, but upon the top step flung herself to her knees and began to tell the beads and cry. My father at the same moment arrived at the opposite door, and I heard his sudden exclamation of, Julia, darling! My mother turned toward him, and then to me, and wringing her hands again, retreated toward the nursery and was lost. Afterwards, the nurse stated that she distinctly felt something pass her. My father ordered her out of the room, and then told me that I had only been dreaming and stayed until I fell asleep. The next day, however, he told me that he too had seen the vision, and that he hoped to do so again, and that if she ever came to see me, I was not to be frightened. But she never appeared again. The Hand of a Ghost After stating that she was visiting a friend of hers in the country when the event occurred, the narrator proceeds. We went upstairs, I being perhaps a couple of steps behind my friend, when, on reaching the topmost step, I felt something suddenly slip behind me from an unoccupied room on the left of the stairs. Thinking it must have been my imagination, no one being in the house except the widow and the servant, who occupied rooms on the other landing, I did not speak to my friend about it, who turned off to a room on the right. But I walked quickly into my room, which faced the staircase, still feeling as though a tall figure was bending over me. I turned on the gas, struck a light, and was in fact in the act of applying it, when I felt a heavy grasp on my arm of a hand minus the middle finger. Upon this, I uttered a loud cry, which brought my friend, the widow lady, and the servant girl, into the room to inquire the cause of my alarm. The two latter turned very pale on hearing the story. The house was thoroughly searched, but nothing was discovered. Some weeks passed, and I had ceased to be alarmed at the occurrence, when I chanced to mention it whilst spending the afternoon with some friends. A gentleman asked me if I ever heard a description or seen a carte of the lady's late husband. On receiving a reply in the negative, he said he was tall, had a light stoop, and had lost his middle finger on his hand. On my return, I inquired of the servant, who had been in the family from childhood, if were such the case, and learned that it was quite correct, and that she, the girl, had once, when sleeping in the same room, awakened on the feeling of someone pressing down on her knees, and when opening her eyes, she saw her late master by the bedside, on which she fainted, and had never dared to enter the room after dark since. She is not an imaginative girl, nor am I. When I was grasped by the hand, however, I didn't see anything. But worse was to follow. It was so chanced that I had to sleep in that room once again, as the house was full of company, and there was nowhere else for me to go. I had by this time gotten over my fears, and hardly minded the idea of sleeping in the room at all. I left the room door open, turned out the light, and was soon sound asleep. Sometime in the early morning hours, I awoke with an indescribable feeling. I was suddenly wide awake, without the slightest traces of sleep, yet I did not know how I awoke, and had no recollection of waking. But there I was, wide awake, and staring up at the ceiling with wide-open eyes. My right hand was hanging over the side of the bed, so that it felt outwards into the room. Imagine my horror, then, in feeling a hand suddenly grasp my hand, and I felt it distinctly. It was minus the middle finger. The hand was icy cold, 
and of a peculiar hardness. I hung on to the hand, however, determined to get to the bottom of what was going on. I gripped tightly, and still retained the hand in my grip. Bending over, I stretched out my left hand, and with the fingers of that hand, felt over the hand and wrist I was holding. I then commenced to trace it up the arm. I had about reached the elbow or a little below, when the arm suddenly ended, came to nothing, was no more. Yet the hand in mine was as solid as ever. This gave me such a shock that I let go of the hand I was holding and sank back into my pillows. Then terror took possession of me, and I don't know what happened later. I only know that I had a brain fever, which laid me low for several weeks. The occurrence has never been explained. If you're looking for something to do this summer, perhaps between listening to Anything Ghost episodes, do what I did. Give your brain a treat and download the five-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends. That's Best Fiends. Friends without the R. Best Fiends is free to download, but it's hard to put down. Once you get playing Best Fiends and using the colorful, personality-filled characters to help you beat each level, you'll understand what I mean. It is truly difficult to put down once you start. I'd liken it trying to walk out of an air-conditioned movie theater on a hot summer's day while watching a movie that you are captivated with. No can do. That's because Best Fiends is so much more than those other silly match-three games where your only goal is to smash candy. Best Fiends takes you to another world where you battle alongside colorful collectible characters and make your way through various lands. And if your friends are playing, you can see their progress ahead of you or sneaking up on you from behind. After having plowed through the snow and mountains of remote ridges, I'm now making my way through the geyser-filled thermal taiga lands. And now I can see a sign up ahead for the land of Sandy Shore. So come join me this summer and download the five-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And here's a story from Christina in the U.S. It's a self-told story, self-recorded, self-narrated, whatever you want to say. And here's what she wrote first. Hello, Lex. Yes, reading short emails from the audience is a great re-addition to the show. That was such a nice touch way back when, and still holds up now. While the added sound effects and background tunes are my favorite little touch, your original intermittent musical scores are so close second. I also love each time you reach the archives for an extra little tale, despite how much time I spend in the archive myself. There's always one that seems unfamiliar and makes for a novel treat. Keep up the awesome work. It's my number one go-to podcast. Okay, and here's what Christina sent us for her story. The earliest paranormal experience to which I can attest would have happened when I was about age four or five, maybe. And this would be back in Onslow County, North Carolina. The house I grew up in was just an ordinary one-level ranch-style house made out of brick. It was nothing special. It wasn't even old. Um... For the most part, nothing eventful, really, but so when I was about four or five, um, it just so happened I was just going along my kid business and happened to look down the hall and I saw a black cat walking forward and, and I thought, oh, it's Peekaboo, our cat. No, wait. Peekaboo's outside. And the cat wasn't there anymore. <laughs> um, you know, even as a kid, I didn't think anything of it. It was just one of those, huh, moments. Um, so on a similar note, I know there was one time when I was... 
sitting on the floor in the dining room and I was playing with my toys and for no reason whatsoever I just stopped and looked up and looking past the kitchen down the hall I saw right before my eyes kind of manifest this shadowy form of a person it had no clear mass or definition about it. It was kind of blotchy and um, amorphous, I would say. Kind of like if you look up into the sun and then your eyes start to blacken, dot, just messing with your vision. That's kind of what it was like in the moment. It was, I was looking at this mass forming a person and it was messing with my vision and I remember very distinctly in that moment asking myself is this for real or am I wanting to see this so much that I'm making myself see this <laughs> but nothing really came of it it just kind of dissipated um almost like a dream. It just really didn't happen, I guess. And I didn't give it any more thought. I, I don't remember talking to any of my brothers or sisters about it. Um, just kind of let it go. And wasn't really relevant until later on when I was about 12 and I was sitting on the front porch. It was the middle of summer, I think. Bright, sunny day. Very quiet neighborhood. Not much for development or houses. In fact, it was a cornfield across the way, but I was sitting on the front porch meditating all by my lonesome when my meditation came to an end and I brought myself back up to clear consciousness. <clears throat> and I was just sitting there resting in that peaceful feeling and when I noticed out on the street there was this big black dog running by and so I just sat there watching this big black dog run by <laughs> it was it was a massive dog and it was super shaggy and you know, it, it just, it ran from one end of the street on by until around the slight bend, it disappeared behind the grove of trees out of sight. And that's exactly when I realized that wasn't exactly an ordinary dog I just watched because I didn't hear anything about it. It didn't, I couldn't hear it panting. I couldn't hear the paw pads smacking the asphalt. I couldn't hear the claws scratching. Just a, a, even a, a big dog of that size, you would hear it go by. Just anything with mass pushing, running. I don't care how quietly somebody wants to run. You can hear them run by. There's no mistaking that. And that dog made not a single sound. And the more that dawned on me, I also realized for as solid as it looked, it wasn't in that it didn't catch the sunlight. It had no gleam or shadow or depth to it. It was just a silhouette of a pitch black dog. And... I thought that was mighty strange. <laughs> Thank you.
And now we're going to enter the Wayback Machine for an Anything Goes story of years gone by. This is from the archive of Anything Ghost. Thank you very much, Winston. I hope everyone enjoyed that. And let's see what we got next. I got the uh, MP3 that was sent in. It's a story somebody would like to tell you herself. And here it is. Testing. One, two, three. Hi everybody, my name is Lorraine and I am a new listener of the Anything Goes podcast and I thought it would be interesting just to tell you my story instead of just typing it in. And plus I don't have all that time anyway. I have too many children. So I wanted to let you know about my experiences in my house. And I have been here six years. And my house isn't really that old. It was built in the 60s and, and I'll tell you a few things that happened here. And and I know these have happened. I and it just I wasn't asleep I was totally awake I was with it um, so I'll, I'll tell you about the first I'll tell you I'll give you the first story um, last year when I was laying in bed watching TV it was late at night and I was waiting for my husband Tom to come home from hockey and um, it was getting late but I like to wait up I don't I don't like to go to bed when he's not here so um, I'm watching TV and I didn't hear him come through the door, but I did hear the downstairs closet door open and I heard it being pushed closed. You know, you know the noises in your house that it makes and um, you could tell where it came from. So I hear him pushing the door closed and then I hear him walking through the dining room which is right next to it and we have a hardwood floor there. So he's wa I hear him walking through the dining room and then he proceeded through the kitchen and as he's walking through the kitchen, I heard him clear his throat. And then he went down the steps to the family room, and I thought, oh, he might just have to use the bathroom. He doesn't want to wake up the kids. We have a bathroom in the family room, through the family room anyway. Um, so I'm up there, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting a long time, and I'm wondering if he won the game or not, and kind of getting annoyed that he's just not upstairs yet. Did he fall asleep? What's he doing? And so... I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to get out of bed. I'm going to have to get out of my warm bed. So before I go downstairs, I peek out of the window to see if he parked in the driveway instead of the the road. You couldn't park in the road at the time where you'd get a ticket. I saw no car. He wasn't home. But I know I heard those noises. I know I heard the door close. I know I heard him walking through the family room and first through the dining room. I know it. I heard the steps because I could see where he was going in my head by hearing the, the steps. So I'm thinking, okay, do I get up? Do I go downstairs? Or am I just going to be a baby and sit here in the room? So I did. I went downstairs, turning on every light, going every step down. I turned on every light. I turned on the hall light. I turned on the foyer light. No one there. Turn on the dining room light. I'm calling Tom, are you here? No answer. Turn on the kitchen light. And I knew he wasn't going to be there now. His car wasn't home. Then I even braved it. I went into the family room. It was completely dark. And I'm calling him. Tom, are you here? Nothing. So yes, needless, needless to say, I bolted upstairs and I closed my bedroom door. I put every light on in the house and I waited for him to come home. And uh, I told him everything when he got home. And, you know, he he didn't think I was making anything up, but he he just took it with a grain of salt. And that's my first story. Okay, so that was from Lorraine in Buffalo, New York. And she also sent in another story, same thing, MP3. And I'll play it right now. Hi, everybody. It's Lorraine. And I live in Buffalo, New York. And I want to tell you a story about what happened just not even a whole year ago here in my house. Now, I have five children. I have four boys and a daughter, Lillian, she's my youngest, and um, this is when she was two. Um, she would normally be napping right before the, the school bus comes home around three o'clock. And, you know, as a mom, you, you tend to know the, the cries, the different cries of your children. and and you understand if they're just whiny, if they're sick, or if something is really going on, if, if something is up there, if you, something's scaring them, if they're hurt. And I'm in the kitchen, and I'm making a snack for them to come home to, and 
I heard her screaming. She's screaming. And I ran upstairs, not even touching a step, I don't think, thinking that she's hanging out of the crib or she's stuck or, or something is going on. And I go upstairs and she's standing in her crib and she's pointing at the ceiling and she's looking at something and she's screaming and and I look and I grabbed her and what and I'm like Lillian what what's the matter and she keeps pointing at the ceiling and she didn't have a huge vocabulary then and she's you know just two and I'm looking at the ceiling what is she looking at there's no shadows it was a sunny day there are no bugs on the ceiling there are no cobwebs nothing and I'm, I said over here and she's, she told me yes, and I said, what do you see? And she couldn't tell me at the time, but she was clearly upset. And she's hanging on to me around my shoulders. And So I got her out of the room, and I'm trying to calm her down. Her face is wet, she's crying, and I'm looking again, and there's nothing that I can see. And she kept pointing until we walked out of the room. Now this happened again a few months later. You know, again, I'm, I'm downstairs, and I hear her screaming. And I run upstairs, and she's sitting in her crib, and she's pointing at the same spot. I can't see anything. I have no idea what she's screaming or looking at. So I asked her, I, I asked her, Lillian, what do you see? And she said, Andrew. Now, Andrew is her older brother who is, <clears throat> excuse me, he's, he's 11. He's, he wasn't even home yet. He was still at school. So... I can't guarantee you that it wasn't a bad dream, but this was the second time that she pointed at the same spot and she kept, it was making her upset. So that's one of my stories and I found it really eerie and I found it disturbing, especially when it happened to one of my children. Okay, so those are the two stories sent in by Lorraine in Buffalo, New York. And thank you, Lorraine, for doing that. And I hope you enjoyed them. And so that's it for the email stories in podcast number 25. And next up, I'm going to play you some. Man, that's it for A-N-Y-T-H-I-N-G-G-H-O-S-T number 283. So if you have a story you want to share, be sure to send it to lex at anythingghost.com. In the meantime, I'm putting together show number 284, which will be out in a few weeks. So until then... Have yourself a wonderful week and take care.